So please join me now in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, as we come into a very famous part of the Bible, as Jesus teaches us about prayer. And so we're going to talk about prayer this week. We'll talk about prayer again next week. Now, have you noticed with me that in the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, there is no fluff. Everything Jesus gives us, we say that is a vital truth. And it's no different here when we come into this topic of prayer. Now, we're in a section where Jesus is warning us about some things. He's warning us that you and I can have bad motives for good things. Remember back in verse 2, Jesus warned us against showing off when we give to the poor. And now we come to verse 5, and Jesus warns us about showing off when we pray. Here are the words of Jesus now in verses 5 and 6. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. First of all, Jesus gives us a warning against prideful prayer. See it with me. Jesus gives a warning against prideful prayer. Verse 5 again. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Here Jesus warns us against an abuse of prayer. When we would turn our praying into a performance for other people. This is another embarrassing teaching. The fact that Jesus has to teach this to people like us is embarrassing for us. That you and I can even corrupt something as beautiful and precious as prayer. How sick is that? That we can try to turn prayer in some, into something where people go, isn't he good? Isn't, isn't she impressive? This is, this is really sad that Jesus has to do this and to give us this teaching. So think about it. Even in prayer, you and I can be sinful. Can you imagine that? One scholar said it this way, I suppose we could sum it up by saying that sin is ultimately self-worship and self-adulation. And our Lord shows what to me is an alarming and terrifying thing, that this tendency on our part to self-adulation is something that follows us even into the very presence of God. It sometimes produces this result, that even when we try to persuade ourselves that we're worshiping God, we're actually worshiping ourselves and doing nothing more. That's embarrassing. That's humiliating for us as human beings. Oh, how sin so deeply infects us as the people of the earth that we can even come into the presence of God wanting the glory for ourselves. This is another reminder of why we need a Savior. Even the good things that we do, we can do for bad motives. Even prayer we can do with sinful motives. So Jesus here calls out the hypocrites, but as a way of telling us, don't be like them. Here, these hypocrites would enjoy standing up in their synagogues and praying in a way to impress other people. He even says they'll stand on the street corner. So it could be that they're on their way to the synagogue and they know there they're going to put on the show, but like, hold on. I want people to know that I'm in such a hurry to get to the synagogue to pray that I can't even make it there until I just got to halt here on the street corner and just let out a great prayer so that people will see me. And they'll think, that 
Now, that's a religious guy right there. That guy is pious. And so Jesus calls that hypocrisy, this theatrical praying in the public with that goal of impressing other people. It's a perversion of prayer. It's the exact opposite of why God gave us prayer. Now, let's, let's pause here and note that Jesus is not calling out all public prayer. This is not a prohibition against praying corporately. We know that because we look through the scriptures and we see lots of times when God's people pray together and God loves it. We think about times in the book of Acts. We're told in Acts that the church was devoted to prayer, not just individually. They were devoted to being together and praying together. What could be more beautiful than that? So, so we don't want to misapply this passage and say, well, I never want to pray out loud again. That would be a wrong thinking here. God loves our praying in private, in public. But here's the point. It's not your location. It's the direction of your praying. So when you're praying, yes, be thinking about where am I? But mainly, what direction am I praying? Am I praying vertically? Am I talking to God? Or has my mind shifted to horizontal? Am I really talking to the people around me? So here's the question. Who is the audience of this prayer that you're making? Now, there are two primary temptations in our fight in pro that we have to fight in our public praying. First of all, it is this one Jesus calls out. When we pray publicly, there is this temptation to want to try to impress the people around us. These are the thoughts that could go through our minds when somebody asks you to pray in front of other people. Maybe you think, well, I, I want them to think how spiritual I am. That'd be a problem. Or I want them to hear how airtight my theology is. I hope they'll be impressed with my theology. You hear the difference? They. I'm thinking about them rather than him. Or I hope they can hear my passion for God in the way I pray. Or I hope they approve of me, this group of people I'm praying with. And then we might have this one. Well, I'm not thinking all that. I just hope I don't embarrass myself. But the focus is on ourselves rather than on the God to whom we're speaking. So we're wanna, we want to fight in public praying this temptation to impress others. But also this one. The other one that we have to watch out for is to pray a sermon. Now, there's nothing wrong with sermons. I hope not. I'm giving one right now. But a prayer isn't a sermon, and there can be that temptation in a time of prayer with other people. You know, I'm going to really tell them some stuff that they need to hear during what is guised, disguised as a prayer to other people. I remember being in a prayer group with a guy a few years ago, and it became pretty apparent to me he was talking to the rest of us. It was an angry prayer. He started saying things like, shame on us, shame on us if we don't. And he started naming the things that I think he thought we weren't doing. <laughs> and I thought, this is weird. We're supposed to be talking to God. He's angry at us, it appears. And I think this is a sermon rather than a prayer. So here's the remedy for public praying in a way that's not prideful. The goal is that we lose ourselves when we pray. That we are utterly not thinking about ourselves. That we are forcing our minds to God minimizing the, our awareness that we're with others in that moment when we're speaking to the Lord. So, so personally for me, when it's time to pray publicly, corporately, this is one of my favorite places to do that. I mean, we've been together a long time. We're family. And so we can relax here and pray. And we all know this is all for Jesus. So I, I love praying in here publicly with God's people. I, I like our Thursday night prayer group right now on Zoom and about... Uh, 15 to 20 of us praying. And uh, I think that's just beautiful. There's no, there's no desire to impress each other. 
It's just wonderful. I love praying with my family. I love praying in our staff meetings. But there are places publicly I don't like to pray. And as a pastor, through the years, I've gotten these invitations to, to lead an invocation, they call it, at some official event. And so with some regularity, you get these invitations. So maybe to pray at a board of supervisors meeting or maybe at a groundbreaking ceremony or at a ribbon cutting ceremony. I've done all these kinds of things, school board. And then there was the time in 2011 when the state Senate asked me to pray. And, you know, you do those things because you think to yourself, it's, it's good to be around people. Maybe it will lead to some outreach. But honestly, the praying itself, the invocation itself, I don't enjoy it. I find it very unnatural. Now, typically these days, when they ask you to do an invocation somewhere publicly, they're going to give you a letter that says, now don't do this. And in fact, I got this, this wording a couple of times. It needs to be a non-denominational prayer. I still don't know what that means. And so what I do, I get, you know, you know thank you for praying for us. It needs to be a non-denominational prayer. So I, I have on a couple of occasions called the person who invited me. Now, what do you mean by that non-denomination? I'm not going to pray a Baptist prayer. But I am a Christian, and you're asking a pastor to pray, so I'm going to pray to a specific God, and I will pray in Jesus' name because that's how I pray to God. And, uh, and one time they rescinded the invitation only to give it back later. Like, well, I guess that is okay. <laughs> but normally they say, well, that's okay. That's okay. I think they have to just go on record. I told the Baptist pastor not to do anything, <laughs> but we can't control him. It was a moment of prayer. So I think they just have to check off the list. We told him not to do it. But I don't enjoy it because here's what's weird about these prayers in places where these aren't believers. And, uh, and now, on the one hand, I'm, I appreciate that they have this custom where they want a blessing over the event. So I appreciate that. I want to honor that. But then I know that a lot of the people there don't want the prayer. And they've already told me they don't want me to pray to the Lord in Jesus' name. But probably the one that was most just difficult for me was at the state senate back in 2011. Just because I, I knew I'm not praying with my people. You notice when we pray together here, I can use the pronoun we. Lord, we love you. Lord, we repent or we praise you. That's how we pray. It's so natural for God's people. How do you pray before a room of unbelievers? I can't say we to almost anything. And so then I, I want to avoid the sermon. That's your temptation, right? I'm at the state senate. I could, I could say a few things, but it's a prayer. It's just awkward. And so I, I just, that's just all to say. I don't, I don't enjoy those, but I do enjoy when we pray together. So here's the deal. In our corporate praying together, let's force our minds to God. And let's minimize our thoughts about ourselves. And so there's a warning here about prideful prayer. Then Jesus gives us at the same time a call to private prayer. A warning about prideful public prayer. But there's a call here to private prayer. See it again in verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. So the times when we do pray publicly, that should be an overflow of a rich, private prayer life. There's something especially odious when we pray in public pretending like, yeah, this is how I pray all the time. I'm always, I'm always this fervent. I'm always this committed to prayer. But when it's not really true, it's just public praying is the dominant and there's really an absence of private prayer. So Jesus is making the point that private prayer is to be the priority for his followers. You and I should be committed to private prayer. Jesus here, is, here says, go into your inner room. It's not about the street corners. It's not about in the gathering, in the synagogue. You know where your primary praying should be happening? In an inner room somewhere. What's an inner room? Sometimes translators say in your closet, 
This inner room was likely a storeroom attached to their houses on the outside. The point is not whether or not you have a special place to go. The point is privacy. The point is getting alone with God. And Jesus not only taught this here, he modeled it, didn't he? Places like Mark 1.35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And we see that pattern over and over. Jesus had this public ministry. Thousands wanted to be with him. And he'd slip away. I want to be alone with my father. I do love these people. I do want to minister to these people. That's why I came to save them. But I have to be alone with the father. And Jesus models for us so beautifully the priority of private prayer. And doesn't that, doesn't that challenge you? When you think, Jesus, God the son, he saw the need to regularly be alone with the father. And how much more would we say, I desperately need that. Jesus modeled it. The apostles modeled it. God commands it. And so let's, let's think here, there's a great danger, yes, to how we pray in public, but this is an equally great danger, the danger of neglected private prayer. So there's a danger that I might be prideful when I pray in public, but there's a greater danger that I wouldn't pray much at all in private. Wouldn't you agree with me that prayer just might be the best barometer of the true health of your Christian life? So you're thinking, how do you know if you're a strong Christian? How do you know if you're a healthy Christian? How do you know your walk with God is good? I can't think of a better way than to say, well, let me just take a look at my personal, private prayer life. How's that going? So your personal time in prayer and your personal intake of God's word, these are keys to you walking in a way with God that's fresh and vibrant. So what's happening when you read the Bible? So if you're reading the Bible correctly, when you get alone with God, you open up God's word, you're now listening to God. There's communication happening. That's how you should read the Bible. This is not a class. I'm, I'm getting with God. I want him to speak to me. He's given me his inerrant word. I want to hear what God has to say to me in his word. By the way, can I pause here? It's never been more crucial that you do that. We are bombarded with messages from the culture, have been. But it's increasing. We have so many new ways to take in what the culture is telling us. Think about our young people with TikTok and Instagram and every other thing. They're just consuming, consuming the thinking of the world. And they're just, they're real consumers. They're being discipled by the culture. And then you think, and rarely in the Bible. That's a critical, deadly mistake. So let me urge you that when you're talking about prayer, what am I going to do first? I'm going to get along with God. I'm going to open up the Bible that God himself might speak to me perfectly through his word. Please do that. And then, then you have a conversation with him. God, I want to respond to you about what you just told me in your word. I, I love what you said or what you said challenged me or help me understand this better. Lord, you're awesome. Thank you for showing me that word. This is two-way communication going on. You hearing from God in the word, it's critical. Don't miss that. And then you talking to God. But prayer has a unique ability to show you the quality of your Christian walk when nothing else might. Did you know that you can go through the motions with a lot of good things? So like coming to church this morning, this might not have been an act of worship for some. This is what I do. I mean, I, I don't know what I'd say to people if I didn't show up. I mean, there could be all kinds of weird motives. And so a person can fake the Christian life and just showing up at church is just another show. The, the hypocrites did that, right? And any service to the Lord, we could just, that's what I do. I, I just do that act of service. And 
And it doesn't mean that you're strong and healthy just because you come to church and you even do some ministry. Even reading the Bible. There's a way to read the Bible that doesn't show that you're really growing a warm heart toward God and obedient. You're just, I just, I have a quiet time. I meet with him. I'm going to check it off. It's just an academic exercise that I do. It's kind of a guilt trip if I don't read it. But prayer, you can't fake private prayer, can you? You ever tried it? You can't. You won't even show up for private prayer if you don't have a heart that longs for God. Even when you don't feel like it, you know, I need him. And so I will force myself over my lazy flesh that I might meet with him because I have to have him. You can't fake it. Now, this is another reason why prayer is such a great barometer of your spiritual health. You can't hold stubborn sin in your life and pray either. I've tried it before. I'm ashamed to admit. And it doesn't work. Because when you meet with God, you think, I, I need to read the Bible and pray. I got this sin I want to hang on to. And you try to go ahead and pray. You know what God wants to talk about? That sin. And only that sin. You might, I want to pray for the nation. Our nation's in trouble. And God, how about, let's talk about that. Maybe later, Lord. I don't want to talk about that. I, I want to talk about my neighbor's cousin's sister's dog that's got a bad leg. Can I bring that before you? No. What about that pride? What about that lying you've been doing? What about that bragging you've been doing? What about that lust you've been trying to cover up? I see it. We got to deal with that. You've been there. I bet you've had that same thing. You just can't fake private prayer. It, it shows the real you. And so, listen, run to Jesus with your sin. Here's the good news. When, when you find yourself in sin and you find yourself not wanting to repent of some sin, pray. But pray about that. Don't try to ignore it. He sees it. Remember, we've seen our text. Our father sees what's done in secret. And go to him and tell him, I have been sinning and I'm sorry. And I'm sorry that I haven't been sorry enough. I have to repent. God, help me to repent. That's how we pray real. Do that in private. And then grow in your prayer life. So let's press on in prayer. Let's grow in our prayer life. So what have we seen so far? There's a warning against prideful prayer. There's a call to private prayer. Then I love this. There's a reward for private prayer. Did you notice it? God promises a reward for private prayer. Verse six again. And when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret, here it is, will reward you. Notice that what you do in that private place, wherever it is that you meet alone with God, God observes that. And God says, I'm gonna reward that. Nobody else patting you on the back. Nobody else thinks you're impressive. You're not showing off about it. I'm going to reward that. Now, how does God reward a life of private prayer? Let's talk about maybe three ways why. First of all, God will reward your private prayer with his presence. With his presence. This is an immediate reward when you pull aside in his. You get him. I love this. John 15, 4 and 5. Jesus said, abide in me. And I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's reward just by abiding in Christ. And a big part of that is a life of prayer, but it's also rising up from prayer and walking with him. That's how you continue to abide in him. And Jesus says, there's a reward in that. You're gonna bear much fruit. Or Revelation 3.20, what a beautiful invitation from Jesus to his people. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Don't you love those wonderful relational words that Jesus uses here? 
I'm knocking. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. Would you hear my voice? Would you open the door? We are going to be close. So what's the great reward of prayer? First of all, it's his presence. God offers intimacy. When you meet with him, haven't you noticed when you truly meet with him, you get his comfort, you get his perspective, and you're flooded with hope. You get the strength that you lack by being in his presence, his peace. So what's the reward for our praying? His presence. Secondly, his answers. I hope you know that when you pray, it's fruitful to pray. God responds to our praying. So we come to him needy. We come to him needing help. And he responds. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Or James 5, 16. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Isn't that beautiful? The great God of heaven invites us to pray and he will answer our prayers. Not always, of course, exactly like we want it. He's the father, he's the king, he will do what's best. But don't you love it when God answers your prayers? Sometimes with the no, and you look later and go, I'm so glad he said no. But with the yes, and it's so awesome to see God make a direct answer to one of our requests. So we should ask God for help. We should ask God for guidance. Ask it and mean it and our God will answer. But how else, how else might God reward us through praying? He promises a reward. I believe he does have in mind eternal reward. Eternal reward. Somebody might say, well, what did I get from praying? God didn't even answer my prayer like I wanted him to pray. What did I get? Was that just a big waste of time? No, as we said, you got him. You enjoyed his presence. You were drawn near to him. You got power. You got endurance. You'll be more useful to God because you met with him. But listen, he does promise a reward. This thing that nobody else saw you do, nobody else could, could be impressed with you over it. God says, I'm going to reward you for that. I will reward a life of faithful prayer. Can you imagine it? That nobody else might have seen, but God saw it. And I were on top of the free gift of salvation I gave you. I saved you freely. But I want to reward you on top of that because you prayed sincerely and privately. If you need motivation to, to stir up your prayer life, that's a good one right there. Maybe memorize this week, verse 6. Yeah, this is valuable. My flesh fights against it, but I need to be with him. God says he'll reward it. And I love this. God wants to reward you for something that's so good for you already. This is like a parent saying to a child, listen, I want to reward you. If you'll just come with me to go get ice cream, I will reward you for that. The kid would be thinking, I thought the ice cream was the reward. No, 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 I want to reward you on top of that. <laughs> That's a great parent right there. Hey, listen, if you'll go with me this afternoon to the park, just hang out at the park, I will reward you. What, wait a minute, isn't the park the reward? Yes, but I want to, I want to reward you even more than that. It's by being with me. That's what we're going to do. This is God saying that. I will reward you if you spend time with me, which is already good for you. How wonderful, how gracious, how loving is our God. He really does want to bless us more than we even want to be blessed. And then finally this, how to pray. And we'll save a lot of this for next time because Jesus is going to walk us through the model prayer, what we sometimes call the Lord's Prayer. We're going to do that next time. But just even here, he tells us how not to pray and how to pray here. Notice verses 7 and 8 now. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So how not to pray? Jesus said, don't pray like a Gentile, meaning don't pray like a pagan. Those, those unbelievers, 
those pagans of that time would pray to one of their deities and they would use as many titles of the deity as possible to try to impress the deity. And maybe even remind the deity, look, I've done a lot of stuff for you and I made a lot of sacrifices for you and I really need this healing or I really need my crop to do well. And so you better come through for me because I'm using all your names and I'm, I'm reminding you of all the stuff I've done for you. And they'll use even meaningless repetition and all that. We're not to pray like that. That's not how a child of God prays. It's a great example of pagan praying in 1 Kings 18, a pattern that we don't want to emulate, but these pagan false prophets of Baal were, were there at the showdown with Elijah, the man of God. And this is how they prayed. It says, they took the ox, which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. And no one answered, and they leaped about the altar which they had made. It goes on to say, So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. We don't pray like that, aren't you glad? We don't have to rave. We don't have to dance around and chant. We don't have to cut ourselves, aren't you glad? And nobody answered because they're not praying to a God who really existed. But then Elijah, by contrast, you can maybe read it this afternoon in 1 Kings 18, he just talks to God. With great honor to God, he talks to God and asks for God to come through for God's namesake. And God answered in dramatic fashion for him. So you and I, as we take this to heart, not to pray like pagans, we need to avoid superstitious or works-based praying. Let's make sure that when we're pulling aside to meet with God with our very real needs, that we're not thinking like this. Well, if I pray really, really long and use many words, then God will answer. It's really on me to pray a really long prayer, then I'll get God's answer. Maybe if I pray all night, he'll give me what I want. There's nothing wrong with praying all night, but we don't want to do it like a transaction. If I, if I pray a certain length of time, God has to come through for me. If I use, if I use enough words... Or use the right words. What if I use the right combination of words? What if I use that phrase I heard that guy on TV use? He sounded pretty confident and he uses that phrase every time. And if I use that phrase, maybe some like miraculous things are going to come in my direction. This is superstitious. This is pagan praying. Sometimes we see our friends do it on social media. They don't know Jesus. A lot of people talk about prayer out there on social media. Some of that's positive. You ever had somebody say this to you? I'm sending prayers and positive energy your way. I don't, I don't need the positive energy. There's not a thing. You can't get that to me. That's not Christianity. Or how about somebody sending you good vibes? You ever had somebody send you good vibes? Did you ever get them? It's just a thing people say. I'm sending you good vibes. This one even bothers me, and I don't think people mean it bad, so I'm not trying to be nitpicky. But I'm sending prayers in your direction. That being technical here. Don't send them in my direction. Send them to God. <laughs> I need your prayers. Pray to God, pray in his direction that he might help me from heaven. But we don't want to pray like the Gentiles. But please, we must pray. So how not to pray like that, but how to pray. And we'll do this real quickly. We're saving most of this for next time. First of all, how to pray. Be clear on who you're talking to. Notice here Jesus says, your father. You're talking to your father. When you know you're talking to your heavenly father, your prayers are going to be very different than the way people who don't know God are praying. Listen, we're not counting beads when we pray. We're not hitting the ground at prescribed times throughout the day when we pray. We're not chanting sacred syllables when we pray. We're not ringing bells. We're not spinning prayer wheels. We're not hoisting prayer flags into the wind when we pray. We're talking to our father. And we, because of our faith in Jesus, we know him. And we get to talk to him 
in a dear, intimate way. Now, let me ask, do you know him as your father? This would be the greatest thing that could happen to you today. If you move from being a religious person to being a person who becomes a child of God. I love this. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So if you will turn and put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, you then become a child of God. You weren't before. You were a creation of God, but you become a son or daughter of God when you repent of sin and trust in Jesus who died for you on the cross, who was raised from the dead. Oh, you then can know him and you can pray to him intimately like this. And here's the beautiful thing. When you know God personally, your sins have been forgiven. You can pray in a way where you know in his presence you've been accepted by him. But you still come in with awe. God's never going to be your buddy. And when you pray, he's not your butler where you can give him a list of things to do and say, chop, chop, go, go now and do these things for me today. <laughs> That's not how we pray. When we know God as our father, he's awesome. He's almighty God. He's holy, holy, holy. He's a consuming fire. And yet he loves us and he's our father and he's declared us righteous in Christ and he wants us in his presence. It shapes everything about how we pray. So, so how to, how to pray? Jesus would say, no, you're praying to your father. And lo I love this. And your father knows what you need. He knows what you need. Did you catch it? Even before you ask, that shapes how you pray too. You already know everything I'm about to say. <laughs> you know my needs better than I know my needs. It shapes how we pray. And then this, get alone with him. So back to his main point, pull aside with him. And so let me just ask very practically here as you apply this to yourself. Will you prioritize time with God in your life? What would that look like in your life if you prioritize getting alone with God? You might ask, how often should I do that? I would do it every day. I would do it every day. I, got, I have to prioritize this. I'm going to meet with God every day. And I don't really want to ever leave his presence. So it's not like I'm going to give him 15 minutes of prayer and then get up and forget him for the rest of the day until the next morning. No, I'm going to spend this concentrated time in his presence, hearing from him in the word and responding and then bringing up needs that are on my heart. And then I want to walk with him all day. So don't look at prayer like it's a 911 call. How many of you are on a first name basis with the 911 dispatcher? You're not because you only call 911 when there's a really big emergency. And even then you're like, is this big enough to call 911 for? Prayer is not like that. I'll, I'll call on God when I have something really big. Otherwise, I won't talk to him. I'm just going to live my life because I can handle my life. You can't handle your life. Not the kind of life Jesus is calling us to. And I can't either. God does not call us to a prayer life that's like 911. You are on a first name basis with him. This is a relationship and it's a glorious privilege. And so let's, let's pray to him. So practically make an appointment. Maybe this afternoon, maybe when you get in your car, if you haven't already done this, here's when I'm gonna meet with God this week, each day. Put it on your car. You say, well, I have a variable schedule. I never know. All right, you can have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule when you're gonna meet with God and a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday one. You, you do, this is the most important appointment on my life calendar. I have to meet with him. Would you do that? And then pull aside from everybody else to meet with him. Even saying that, I sympathize with young moms, with children who hardly give them a moment's peace. You're going to have to be creative and ask for help. But, but the best you can, pull aside to spend some time with the Lord. And then, then this, fight for it. Fight for it. You say, you say there's something wrong with me, Jim, because I find prayer very hard. You're not alone. Most of us find prayer a challenge because we're used to being bombarded by information and, and just sitting still and focusing our thoughts. Uh, that's a challenge. 
We'll talk about some helps for that next week, but you're not alone that this is challenged. Remember Jesus' disciples sleeping in the garden? He says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So this week, expect it to be a challenge. Expect spiritual warfare here, but schedule it, guard it, ask for God's help, and, and get into the presence of God, and none of us are going to brag about it. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's pray together.